Hello again, everybody. This is Laith Mayfield, scholarship worker for University Counseling Services, and you uh, have joined us for the second part um, of a two-part podcast. Um, I'm here with Becky Brandsburg Herrera uh, from University Counseling Services. Uh, If you want to get to know maybe a little bit more about her, just go to the previous podcast. Um, But right now we're going to be focusing on um, grief and loss, so stick around. Um, I'll go ahead and ask you um, to start, why... Um, why did you want to talk about grief and loss today? That's sort of a sort of a downer topic. Why uh, Why do you feel like that's uh, that's important or or necessary? I think this is an important topic because it's a universal topic. All people, regardless of their age, their background, their income, their educational status, all experience grief at some point in time in their life. I'm going to talk about grief as our re- emotional reaction to change. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a change in life, there's a loss. And our reaction to that is what we call grief. And so I see. all people, that this is what draws me to this topic, is that it is such a universal experience. Oh, I see. Okay. Definitely within within the realm of uh, uh, social work and definitely within psychology, there are so few things that are universal. So it's sort of maybe refreshing to find something that, you know, mm-hmm. everyone sort of has to deal with. I think um, at some level all people can relate with it because all people yeah. have experienced some kind of change. And so exactly. it's, it's, yes, it's something, it is one of the few things that all people experience. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so how much would you say people differ and how much, like, they feel a loss? There are certain people who are more susceptible um, to, to getting down about a loss, and there are others who are clearly better um, at dealing um, with, with, with grief or with change. How much, how, how much difference is there between people, would you say, in your experience? I think that um, how people grieve is as unique as their fingerprints. Wow, okay. <laughs> now, there are, I mean, that's maybe an overstatement. Mm-hmm. There are definitely some similar patterns that people experience that we can identify. But um, the important thing about, one of the important things to keep in mind about grief is that it is such a unique experience mm-hmm. and that there's not one single right way to grieve or necessarily a wrong way to grieve. Mm -hmm. And so there are some very common parts of grief that we would see, um, such as crying, sadness, difficulty concentrating, Mm -hmm. difficulty sleeping, um, a feeling of being almost um, somewhat detached and in a dream-like state. can be common parts of grief, Mm -hmm. but not all people experience the same things. Right. Okay. Um, and anyone who's taken an introductory psych course will have seen that, uh, that this, I, I, it's either five or six stages of loss. How does it, is it, it's denial and then anger and then all those things. I think you're referring to the Kubler-Ross and her model, um, was actually created to address the stages of a dying person. Of a dying person. Oh, okay, I see, I see. And so um, her um, stages that she has identified, it's often, because grief is this reaction to change and loss, Mm -hmm. um, it's very similar, and so you can translate that over into other types of grief, but her her specific model was designed for um, someone who's terminally ill. Oh, I see, okay. Okay. their own, their death. Right, okay, okay. Um... Do you think there's there's any any group um, like that's particularly susceptible to taking loss um, really hard? Like, um, 
I know a good deal it focuses on their circumstances in life. Uh, for example, if, if you have a bunch of finals coming up, dealing with a loss is going to be much tougher than you know if you're maybe on vacation or something like that. Um, what what determines essentially the question is what determines how hard someone takes a loss? Do you think? Um, that that's a really interesting question, um, and part of it I think um, depends on where someone is in their life. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, what kind of um, what's going on in their life in general. Right. But I think this is, again, I'm going to answer the question a little differently. How difficult the loss can be, um, often a more diff- the most difficult losses are losses that are outside of the traditional life cycle. So, right. for example, um, it is in the literature, and people also will just say that the, the death of a child right. is the most painful death that mm-hmm. someone can experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure that's very debatable, that a lot of people can debate that. But what that does represent is uh, a break in the life cycle, because the natural life cycle, a parent is, or a person is born, they have a child, and the parent is supposed to die first. And right, so when right. the child dies first, it just is not how the world is supposed to be. It's not how it makes sense. And so mm-hmm. anything out of the life cycle um, is particularly painful. So this could also be a peer death. So like for college students who are between the ages of 18 and 22, 18 and 22-year-olds are supposed to be in just the beginning of life. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when someone that age dies, it just impacts the whole community in such mm-hmm. an intense way because it's not in our minds. It's not the way life is supposed to happen. Whereas, right. let's say, a 95-year-old great-grandparent dies, it's a, it's it, it can still be, and it often is, very sad and a painful experience. Mm-hmm. But it is different because that has been a life that was well-lived, long-lived. And we know just naturally that if someone is 95, even they can live longer, but the, the majority of their life has already been lived. Right. Whereas an 18-year-old, the majority of their life has not been lived. Exactly. And is, is, is part of that like an expectancy thing? Like, you know, you mentioned the great-grandmother example. I'm sort of, if she's 95, not to sound like callous or anything, but I'm sort of expecting her to die at some point but you know i'm i'm not really expecting my buddy who's a junior in college to be dying anytime soon how much of that is expectancy do you right, think right is this a large portion of it yes yes and when we have um older people that we love and if they become ill and fragile and weak then mm-hmm. that's part of we understand it makes more sense right it's more logical right than something tragic like an accident or some kind of a sudden death of a young person there's no preparation for that. It's called anticipatory grief when you can start mm-hmm. grieving before someone dies. Mm-hmm. And with elderly mm-hmm. people, you see that perhaps they can't walk as fast as they used to. Maybe their memory isn't as sharp. Maybe right. they need to go from living at home to the nursing home. And there's some of these gradual changes that happen that help prepare you for um, things that can happen in the future. Right. Okay. That definitely makes sense. Um, okay. So let's shift a little bit from the normal side of grief maybe to like the abnormal side um obviously like a certain a certain grieving period is is expected and probably even you know encouraged um but how do we know like how much grief is too much how do we know when the level of grieving becomes sort of like abnormal right and i'm one who um 
I hardly use the words normal and abnormal. They make right. me shudder. <laughs> right. Okay. But but so I will I will use the words healthy and unhealthy. Okay. That I think that that's really helpful because who's to say what normal is? I certainly really can't identify what normal would be because right. I know I'm certainly not normal, <laughs> and I don't know I don't really know anyone who is normal. Right. But um but I do think that there is this very significant difference in healthy and unhealthy. For example, healthy grief would be um, allowing intense emotions to happen. This could be crying, even crying very hard. It can make other people very uncomfortable to see someone so upset, but that is definitely, a, it can be a part of grief, and that is okay. Um, <clears throat> when you get into the unhealthy grief, um, it would be things like um, trying to use alcohol or other types of drugs to numb the loss. Mm -hmm. It could be being very destructive with property. It could be thoughts of wanting to hurt yourself or someone else. These would be unhealthy types of grief right. that okay. would that need to be addressed. Okay. Um, okay. So let's let's look at like let's focus more on like um, the uh, the average, say, like, college student and maybe some of the losses that he or she can expect to experience. Um, some of those uh, maybe like, grandparents um, uh, or, like, great-grandparents, great-aunts, people like that. How are we, um, how are we to deal with those losses? In other words, what are, what are some things we can do that, that will help us deal with those things? And what are some things that are done, and you mentioned uh, a good portion of them before, but what are some more things that are done that um, are, I guess, like you said, sort of unhealthy and don't really do anything to um, enhance or, or um, yeah, to enhance the grieving process? Right. Well, um, grief is definitely something that college students experience. I believe in the this past academic year of 2008-2009, I think the number is 12% of UCS clients had someone, they marked that they had someone close to them who recently died. Mm -hmm. And so you think, okay, that's 12% of UCS clients, and you think of all the students across campus, it, I'm, I'm guessing that the number would be higher than that. Mm -hmm. So this is something that does impact college students, Absolutely, specifically talking yeah. about death. Mm -hmm. And certainly there's the most common one, I'm going to guess would be grandparents mm -hmm. because of where people are in the life cycle. Naturally. But we do also see um, a fair number of students who have had parents mm -hmm. die and students who have siblings die and students who have friends die. Right. And so we do have a, a range of losses that are not unusual for college students to have. Mm -hmm. So when this happens, it can be particularly difficult because college... Um, Although we hope it's a very exciting, fun time, it also can be very stressful in the academic demands that people have and all the um, changes and challenges that students face anyway. It can be compounded when there's a loss and there's some feelings um, right. of intense grieving going on. So things that can be helpful to help that help people through this time would be to um, allow themselves to have the pain. That's mm -hmm. the main thing: is to not fight it or deny it, mm -hmm. and to know that it, that it is okay 
um, when you have a when you have someone you love and they die, it is okay to be very sad about that. Mm-hmm. So to allow feelings to happen, part of it is we have these feelings inside of us and we have to get them out. And figuring out how each person gets them out can be different. A lot of people get them out the traditional way of talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding people who can be supportive and listen can be very, very helpful. Some people get them out by doing other things like writing, writing poetry, writing music, mm-hmm. doing something very um, more visual, like doing some kind of art, right. painting or drawing. But the idea is just to get it from inside to the outside, that that's part of that grief process that can be very helpful and healthy to do that. Right. Um, other people um, are more private in their grief, and that is okay too because it's all right to have a whole range of grieving styles. And so some people, instead of having a specific support group where they want to talk about their feelings and their experience and talk about their loved one, they might prefer to have j- simple companionship. This would be friends to go bike riding with, to go exercise with, to go to a game with, mm-hmm. to go to the movies with, people to be with them, not necessarily to talk deeply about their emotions and their feelings and their thoughts, but people so that they don't feel that physical loss as much. Right, so just that, someone to be there for them and know right. that you know if they if they would need to talk to someone, then that, that person would be there. I think that's probably one right. of the more important things. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think people who, when you see someone who's hurting, it can be a really paralyzing feeling that often people, when you see a friend or someone you love who is suffering or hurting, mm-hmm. we don't know what to do. And right. unfortunately, all too often, then people just ignore it and pretend like it's not happening and they might avoid their friend who's grieving. And so part of it is to just be brave and be available mm-hmm. to your friend mm-hmm. or to someone that you see who might be hurting and to try and not be worried about making a mistake. Probably um, if you're sincere and authentic in your gesture to care for someone, they will see that. Mm-hmm. Things that probably aren't helpful would be um, if you say things like these platitudes of, well, it was for the best or this was God's will mm-hmm. or... Um, Those kinds of things are often not helpful. The other thing that is not helpful would be, well, it's been a month. You should get over it. Putting a timeline (laughs) on someone's grief is not helpful at all. Mm -hmm. Because although someone can be functioning and doing well, certain dates, certain anniversaries, certain seasons can trigger all kinds of grief feelings, and that's okay. And so someone might be just fine, but then here comes, I don't know, some let's say Valentine's Day and it mm-hmm. makes them think mm-hmm. of their girlfriend from high school right. and they're very sad because she died and that kind of a thing mm-hmm. and so um, to be sensitive to um, not putting a timeline or a limit on someone's grief right. can be helpful Okay, um, going back to what you said a little bit um, about like approaching people um, our, maybe sort of our, our adverse reaction to people who are suffering from grief or loss why is grief or loss in the lives of other people why is that so uncomfortable to us do you think it's very interesting it is and that's a great question I think it's because it, it scares us because we know that we will face that also Okay. and so okay. it triggers all kinds of emotional feelings and thoughts inside of us mm-hmm. and um, we it, that make us feel very uncomfortable because it's very painful mm-hmm. it's really sad to think about certain kinds of losses mm-hmm. and so because we're human we want to avoid pain right and so that I think that's probably part of that and as right. a society as a culture 
I think we're not very um, equipped at having conversations about death, dying, loss, um, end-of-life issues, that this is something that, as a society, we just are in too much of a hurry, mm. and we want people to get better and get over it now, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. grief is not something that you can get over now. Right. It right. doesn't work that way. Okay. And that's sort of what you're saying. All of that sort of seems to go back to the universality of, you know, of death and of grief and loss and stuff like that. Maybe that's I, that would probably be what I would attribute the uncomfort to um, would be just the idea that we know that eventually mm-hmm. we're going to have to deal with it, too. That's interesting to me. Right. And our um, own mortality also. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That that's what it, and, and it's okay to be a little bit uncomfortable about that because mm-hmm. it is... It is a very serious topic, mm-hmm. and to think about your own mortality, especially when you're 18 to 22, 18 to 25, that is not on your mind. Right, yeah. Generally it's sort speaking, of the last that thing is not, thinking right? About, you're yeah. thinking about majors and careers and opportunities to mm-hmm. do things that are really exciting. Mm-hmm. Not, it's just not something that we're supposed to be concerned about at this right. age. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so shifting from sort of ourselves... Um, and um, our own uh, sort of feelings on our own mortality. Why don't we talk about, like, specifically, like, how to talk to someone um, who's dealing um, who's dealing with, with loss. We'll say we'll stick with that. Uh, maybe someone, uh, for example, maybe someone just lost, maybe just someone just lost a significant other or a, a, um, or a sibling or a parent or something. How do we... How do we how do we approach them? What should what what kinds of things should we say? What kind of things should we do? Mm-hmm. I I think that <clears throat> the the most important thing is to be available and um, to let that person know that you care about them and that you are interested in spending time with them and listening to anything that they would have to say right. and to let them take the lead on that mm-hmm. because people do vary in how. Um, much how private they are with their grief and how open they are with their grief and so being sim- simply being available is probably the key and the most helpful thing that a person can do and um, then the next step would be to avoid being um, judgmental in the sense of well it's been a month you should yeah, get over yeah, I already yeah. said that but ha- letting letting people have the whole range of feelings so if someone is crying very hard that's okay hand them a tissue let them cry be available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, let them know that y- it's okay with you, that you can be really sad too. I think that right. that can be a very helpful thing to say. This is awful. I'm so sad with you that this is happening in your life. Mm-hmm. Not to try and take away their pain or make their pain any better because simply that is not possible. Right. Yeah. And so just to allow them, it, it, what's hard is to sit with someone in their pain, and that's exactly what this would be. So just being able to sit with someone and tolerate being around someone who is hurting. Um, but that in itself is part of the grief process and how you can work through grief so that you reach a, a certain level of acceptance of it and are able to reinvest your energy in other relationships and other parts of life and continue moving forward and celebrating life and not getting stuck in the pain. So right. that's really part of it. Um, the other part is to um, talk to them if you if you're comfortable doing this talk to them about the person who died mm-hmm. ask them what was their name what was your grandma like what did she did she cook you any special food tell me about your memories mm-hmm. and that can be a really healing process too for them to be able to talk about um, their relationship and their experience with the person that they loved okay um, so you said there it's it's really it's really hard to um, 
identify exactly what's normal and what's abnormal, but you'll you'll definitely agree that there's um, that there yeah, like you mentioned, there's sort of healthy and there's unhealthy. Right. So how are we how are we to distinguish then? Um, like when, if and when someone should see like a professional like yourself, like mm-hmm. how do we how do we know when this is the case? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that you can always encourage someone to talk to a professional, mm-hmm. whether or not they do it. That's their own choice, right? right. But that it, it can be helpful to talk to someone who um, is separate from their life about it. Um, that can be a helpful experience. But certainly, it would be. Um, the huge things would be if someone is not able to function with their daily tasks, mm-hmm. that, for example, if they're not able to get up in the morning, if they cannot go to class, if they're not able to finish their homework assignments, if they can't concentrate enough to do tests, if they're not able to um, live mm-hmm. and, you know, in their basic life functions, right. that would be a time when they would need, it could be a huge benefit to get some help. Then certainly if they're grieving in unhealthy ways, anything destructive, if they're breaking things, damaging property, damaging their body, having thoughts of suicide or self-harm, these would be things that are not healthy parts of grieving, Um, as well as excessive alcohol or drug use. Those are ways to mask feelings, but they don't solve feelings or they don't help someone work through them. And so that would be, Mm -hmm. those would be huge flags. But if someone is simply, and also I think... Frankly, for college students, if someone is draining you, it's okay to say, why don't you go talk to someone? Because yeah. it can be very draining. Um, they might need some a lot of attention, a lot of time. And college students sometimes, uh, they're very busy and have lots of requirements and right. lots of commitments. And so that's okay that you have things to do in your life too. Right. Sometimes people, when they're grieving, they have a crisis of faith because certainly issues of death bring up well, what happens after death mm-hmm. and it can really um, challenge people and so sometimes a referral doesn't have to necessarily be to a counselor but it can be to someone who is somehow uh, trained in a spiritual realm whatever their preference would be mm-hmm. um, that that can be helpful too mm-hmm. to help make sense of the meaning of life and what happens after you die and right. what, what is all of this all about can, the ex- existential issues can be helpful to talk to someone um, from that angle also. Okay, that sort of makes sense. Um, all right, uh, we're sort of nearing the end. Um, is there anything um, that you can think that you'd like to add or maybe anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, um, that you'd like to mention or anything like that? Um, I would just say again that I think uh, college students are faced with all kinds of loss and change because they're, it's such a huge transitional time in their life right. and that it's okay to have a range of emotions and feelings, that that's not something to be scared of. It's something more to embrace and to see that this will add another dimension to who you are, even though it's maybe something that's very uncomfortable. It's something to embrace and to allow to happen that helps people have a deeper meaning and understanding of who they are in life. And I want to encourage people to come in to UCS if they're concerned about something going on in their life or if they have a friend that they're concerned about. Mm -hmm. We are a resource, and we want to be available to students and to encourage you on your journey. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, once again, uh, University Counseling Services is located by Grim Hall. Uh, The phone number is 660-785-4014. Becky's email is, one more time, Bransburg at truman.edu. 
All right. So I think that's it. Thank you so much for joining me, Becky. Sure to appreciate it. And thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. And take care. Bye.